If you suffer from social anxiety, head over to quietbegins.com and pre-order the safe system for social anxiety. It's time to retrain your brain for a different response in social situations. Are you annoyed by affirmations? Are you tired of that same old rehashed personal growth advice that all seems to boil down to think positively and all your problems will go away? If affirmations feel like lies and positive thinking feels like denial, then I want you to get ready. The Overwhelmed Brain is here to help you create the life you want now. Hello and welcome to The Overwhelmed Brain. My name is Paul Coliani and this is the show where I help you tackle life's toughest challenges. I want to help you increase your emotional intelligence, strengthen your self-worth and self-esteem, and empower you so that you can make decisions that are right for you. Everything I talk about on this show is my personal opinion and is meant for informational and educational purposes only. Always consult a medical or psychological professional before making any changes that could affect your physical or mental health. All right, for the first segment, I'm going to do something a little different. I'm going to talk about a universal principle. I haven't looked this up. I don't know if it's a real universal principle, but it's something that I sort of live by. And that is the principle of deficit leads to fear. And um, it's been talked about in different ways, in different forms, in different shows and books and videos and things like that. Uh, But I want to kind of address it in the way I look at it. And the way I look at it is whatever you have less of, you're more likely to fear aspects of it. You know, we could use a simple example of the less money you have, the more you'll worry about spending it. It's a good example for most people. Not everyone feels that way. But I remember when I had little money, spending it on anything was scary. Now, what's interesting, and we're going to get into it uh, momentarily, is that when you have nothing, suddenly the fear changes. It can. not Like, again, not for everyone. I'm speaking for the majority that people might experience this, when you experience total loss, the fear changes. And a good example of that is when I was in Arizona and my car broke down in the desert a thousand miles from home and I had no money to get home. I was at the peak of anxiety. I was at the peak of a panic attack. And every step I took to try to get my car fixed, get some money, uh, get all my stuff out of my car home, Every step I took was thwarted and I found that I couldn't get home with my car or my stuff and my panic reached the maximum all-time high that I've ever felt and it felt like I was having a heart attack and suddenly I realized I'm not going to get home with my stuff. I'm going to have to leave my stuff. I'm going to have to abandon it. I just moved. I had a bunch of stuff in my car and I was in Sedona, Arizona taking classes and on the way back... My car broke down and that was it. I'm going to have to abandon it all because I didn't have any money left. All I had was a gas card, but my car wasn't functioning. And so this panic came up and I felt like I'd never felt before. It was just the worst feeling in the world. Felt like I was going to die. But what happened at the peak of that panic, when I finally realized that there was no way out of this situation, that I was actually going to have to abandon 
everything in that car. And it felt like everything I owned, my car, I mean, that's my transportation. My panic reached the all-time high, but at the same time, I like to look at my panic breaking through the threshold. I like to look at that panic as the worst case scenario coming true, breaking through the threshold, that ceiling of panic to the point where I felt nothing but peace on the other side. And that was shocking. That was life-changing. That was the moment, a very spiritual moment for me, when I suddenly was able to let go of attachments permanently. I mean, that was a life-changing, pivotal moment that from that point on brought me peace, brought me out of panic, brought me out of almost anything that used to make me anxious. I had no problem from that point on of letting things go. And it has stayed with me for a long time. And most of the time when I tell this story, I still choke up. I still feel that moment of that shift of transformation where I let go of an old part of myself and became someone else. That's what it felt like. And so this is what I learned is that in the desert that day when I was able to let everything go and I ended up selling my car and all of my possessions for like 200 bucks. I had thousands and thousands of dollars plus my car and I sold it for 200 bucks for a bus ticket home. But it was the most amazing transformational process I'd ever gone through. And that day I was able to let go of attachments and easily let go of attachments from that point on. And like I said, it changed my life and it made me realize that I had not experienced a life without my stuff my material items. And when I experienced the complete loss, it felt like a complete loss of everything I owned. Even though I had more stuff at home, it felt like I was giving up the most important stuff, including like the stained glass lamp that my mom made for me. Really important stuff in my heart and in my mind. When I let that go, it was the letting go of that part of me and brought me into the realization that not having experienced what it's like to be completely broke, to live without, so to speak. I carried a fear of living without. And that's when I kind of thought about this universal principle. I didn't call it that back then, but this universal principle of deficit leads to fear. And so what do you have a deficit in that you can relate to some fears? For example, the fewer relationships that you've had, probably the more terrifying you may feel when you break up. I, I hear this from teenagers and 20 plus year olds all the time. Anytime a young adult reaches out to me and says, I broke up with my boyfriend or my girlfriend and I'm devastated and there'll never be anyone like that out there for me ever again. I just have to read this knowing that they are in a deficit of relationships. I'm not saying that you should get into tons and tons of relationships. I'm saying that your worldview, your perspective is not as broad as it could be had you experienced other relationships. Another one is the fewer jobs that you've had, the scarier it is to lose your job. This is just a generalization. Of course, it's not scary for everyone, but generally if you've not 
lost a job before or you've only lost one or two and now you're on your third one and you think this is it, it's kind of scary to lose your job because then what? I'm not going to get any more money. I can't uh, get this job ever again. It's a job that I rely on. And what do I do now? When you've had more jobs, you know what you're going to do. You just know the path. You know what to do. It's not as scary. It can be very scary. You could have a lot of bills. You could have kids. You could have all kinds of things. And now you have no money because that's where your money comes from. But after experiencing a job loss once every two to four years myself, I came to realize that after losing my last job, I'll just get another one. <laughs> it just seems to be that way. And you might think, well, yeah, but you have maybe more experience or you have an education or you have references that I don't have or you have um, knowledge that I don't have. I don't think it's about that at all. I think it's about that I've just tried a lot of stuff. I just learned a lot of skills. I learned a lot of trades. I learned a lot about a lot. I try to expose myself to as much learning as possible. So the more jobs I've had, the more comfortable I felt in life knowing I could just get a job. <laughs> and sometimes that's hard because some of us think that way and then we go out into the workforce and we can't find a job. I get that. But have you survived before? I mean, this is where I go is that I've been homeless. I've had no money when I was married and we had no place to stay and we ended up living in her mom's 600 square foot apartment and it was very tight and it lasted a couple years. We went on welfare. We were going to the soup kitchen. We were getting food from the food banks and churches and things like that. We were surviving and we made it. We got through it. And I'll always reference the Matrix, I think, part two, the movie The Matrix part two, when the three main characters in the elevator and they just visited one of the antagonists. And as they're riding down the elevator, one of the characters said, what did we do wrong? And um, Morpheus, the main character, says, we did nothing wrong. In fact, um, it went exactly as it was supposed to go. And I think the other character says, how do you know? He says, because we're still alive. And that really, I don't know, that philosophy just rings true with me. If I make it through alive, then I have made it. <laughs> I don't know if that's a bad gauge to go by, but it certainly works in my life. Hey, I survived that. I made it. I can do anything as long as I make it. The good news is if I don't make it and die, then I guess I won't know. <laughs> but I'm always making it, even during the hard times. So even at my biggest loss, even at your biggest loss, if you make it through it and you're still alive, you've made it. I know there are some people that disagree with me there. What? I don't want to just make it. I don't want to just survive. I'm in pain. I'm in emotional pain. I'm in physical pain. I'm in some other pain. I am suffering. And I don't consider that a win. I get that. I totally get it. I've had episodes on suffering and how we create that suffering in our life and how that suffering comes to us that we don't create. I know we create all our own suffering. That's what we're told to believe. That's what we're taught. And I adopt that belief system. But does it mean it's true? Did you bring all the suffering into your life? I could argue that, yes, when you took that right turn, you made that choice to take that right turn. And then that truck hit you and put your car in the ditch. And then you came out with two broken legs. 
I could argue that you still have the responsibility of the choices that you make. And for the most part, I think I'd be correct. You, you do have the responsibility for the choices you make, but without the information that you're going to end up suffering, then there's the other side of the argument. But I didn't create this in my life. Yes, but how are you going to handle it from here? What are you going to do about it? How are you going to respond? And if we go back to that uh, deficit leads to fear, there are people that I've talked to that have been through multiple surgeries and multiple suffering points in their life that had to do with medical issues. And they eventually get to that point where they just, where they say, well, it's par for the course, going in for another surgery. And to someone like me, who hasn't had too many surgeries in his life, I don't really look forward to that. I'm not excited about that. And I'm definitely not as complacent or balanced as that person. And someone who's never been under the knife, they don't want it at all. They don't want to experience that. They may have fears that blow their other fears out of the water. Then there are people that have experienced that. It's just like in, um, I don't know when it was. It's like a hundreds of years ago when, like in the 1300s, I think, when they had the Black Death, the plague, and um, other viruses and global killers that have come along that have killed millions and millions of people where parents will lose a lot of children. And this happened a lot. And the stories I read from these parents, they talk about all the children they, they lost. To, to us today, losing a child is devastating. And it was then. I'm not downplaying it. But to hear these people talk about all the children they lost, it's such a different way they tell the story as opposed to some, asking someone today of a child they lost. This is a terrible example, I know, but it's the difference between how much you go through it and how much you get, I don't want to say desensitized to it, but how much you get a better understanding of yourself, a better understanding of the emotions that you're going through, a better preparation of what happens next. Not that I want anyone to experience that kind of loss, but it's just the comparison of how they responded back then and how they respond now. The same type of devastation, but after losing the third child, the fourth child, there's a difference in how they express the stories, at least from what I've read, and how death almost became an acceptable part of life. Whereas today, we don't want to die. We, we want to live as long as possible, at least most of us. And uh, when there is death, we take it so hard. So back then, even though it was just as devastating as today of, of losing someone you love, there's almost a better sense of handling, and that's probably not the best way to put it, but there was a better understanding of the emotions that surround that and how to experience the challenges with a bit more equanimity, where you're just more even-tempered, you're more even with your emotions. Again, the devastation may be just as powerful, but the way we respond to the devastation can shift when we go through a more abundance of the same challenge. For example, uh, learning to express myself, learning to express my emotions to people that I loved, knowing it could upset them, knowing they could want me out of their life. Learning to get into that space took practice. It took me showing up, taking risks, saying things that I felt that I needed to say to these people because that was my truth. And this emotional truth that was inside of me I needed to express because I learned that holding this stuff in 
kept me down. It kept me depressed. It kept me waiting for the world to change, and it never did. So I had to step up for myself, stand up for myself, say what I needed to say because it was inside of me. I needed to give my emotions a voice. And when I did that, I let the chips fall where they may. And what I've learned is that the more I do that, the more my life turns out better. Turns out that when you express yourself, you're expressing needs inside of you. And if no one knows what you need, they can't fulfill that need or you don't give them an opportunity to. And if you don't give someone an opportunity to fulfill your need, where do you go with that? Do you turn it into resentment? I resent that person for not reading my mind and knowing what I need. Or that person should love me so much that they know exactly what I need. Or they should fulfill my needs the way I fulfill theirs. So I'm not even going to share with them what I need. I've spent way too much of my life not sharing what I needed with the people in my life. Mostly with romantic partners, but with family too. To be able to express what I need from family, even if that need is, hey, you're crossing the line, then that has changed my life considerably and has turned some family against me and most of my family for me. That's not a good way to put it, but most family respect me and know that I will be honest with them. And because of that, they confide in me. They call me. They share things with me. The more I have shown up as myself, the more I have become more supported, more trusted. I don't want to say more loved. I think there was always love there. But it it just feels like my family appreciates the way I show up. And that doesn't mean that every time someone does something that I don't like, I say, hey, I don't like that. You better stop it. It's not about that at all. Because everyone's going to do something we don't like at one time or another. And it would probably be detrimental to our mental health if we always pointed out everything they did that we didn't like. So I don't do that. But I do speak up when there's a boundary violation. I do have boundaries where I say this is acceptable in my life and this isn't. When a toxic family member gets too close or makes a demand on me that is very draining, I will say, no, I'm sorry, I won't do that or I can't do that for you, or you're crossing the line. And I may not use those words, but you get the point where you get into a space that you are expressing your needs so that they understand where the line is. I was talking about this on another episode. Where is your line? How do you express it? You just tell them, this is my line. Please don't cross it. You just tell them and they can make the choice to cross it or not. And then you learn who respects you and who honors you honoring yourself. Who respects me? Who supports me? Who loves me? Oh, it's the ones that really respect my line. Hey, that's a great gauge for me. That sort of sums everything up. Every relationship I've ever had, when you cross the line and I tell you not to, hey, you're not respecting me. I'm going to tell you that you're not respecting me and I would like you to change that. Please stop crossing my line. And when they don't or they continue or they don't care, Now I know who supports me. And yes, I might even say they don't love me. I might say that. And some people might say, well, they might love you and they just don't know any better. Well, I'm teaching them. (laughs) I'm teaching them where the line is. And if you cross that line, if you truly love me, and that sounds manipulative, if you love me, you won't cross the line. But I, I will use that as a gauge in my life. I may not say that if you love me, you wouldn't do this. 
but I will say, do not cross this line. That is disrespectful. Or I don't feel respected when you do that. And I might even say, I don't feel like you love me when you do that. You know what the great news about that? When you show up that way, less and less people show up in your life that are toxic. In fact, they are completely eradicated eventually. Because what you're doing is you're weeding out the people that aren't supportive, that aren't honoring, that don't really have your best interest in mind, that are more selfish and more toxic and unhealthy to be with. It doesn't mean they won't change and it doesn't mean they'll finally figure it out and want to work things out with you. It just means that you weed these people out because you're just expressing yourself. You're not saying necessarily go away and never come back. You're saying when you do this, it's not right for me. So you need to stop doing this. And if they don't stop, then you just um, distance yourself from them until they realize, okay, so in order to have a relationship with this person, I need to honor them. Oh, (laughs) maybe I should start honoring them. A lot of people don't get it though. I mean, we know people, we don't always get through to everyone and I like to give them a choice. I like to be in a space of, hey, you can show up and honor my boundaries and don't cross that line and we can get along great or you can cross the line and I don't want to have anything to do with you. I don't make it always so black and white, but I give you the big picture and you can do whatever you want with it. (laughs) So back to the uh, deficit leads to fear. What else is there in your life that, I mean, look at the fears. What else is there in your life that um, you can look at as a deficit that you can relate to a fear. For example, the more you avoid getting on ladders, the more likely you'll continue to be afraid of heights. When we think about a fear of heights, it's probably because we don't climb a lot of ladders or we don't get on top of a lot of buildings. I'm not saying that you need to do this. I'm saying that if having a fear of heights affects your life, if you want to become a roofer, for example, and you have a fear of heights, You'll probably want to do some work. You'll probably want to climb some ladders. You'll probably want to get on some roofs, you know, with all the safety harnesses and and equipment, of course, and uh, learn how it feels to be that high. Sometimes one story, sometimes five stories. You might be very, very high up there with a very, very long fall. So you have these fears that come up. But if you look at people that work on scaffoldings and high rises, they get used to it. They put on their safety gear, they get used to it, and they go up and down and have no problem. So the more you expose yourself to these things, the more your brain gets used to these things, and suddenly you are going up and down ladders without an issue. Kind of a weird analogy here, but uh, I remember when we used to buy CDs, remember those things? (laughs) Compact discs, we would stick them in our car stereo, and if you had a nice car stereo, The CD would sound amazing, crystal clear. Your brain has never been exposed to something so crystal clear and just high fidelity sounding. And then after we've heard the CD like 5, 10, 15 times, we put in that same song and it doesn't sound high fidelity anymore. It doesn't sound amazing anymore. In fact, it might even sound a little mushy. It's almost as if the CD got worn out, like those old VCR tapes that have uh, the magnetic film inside. They, they eventually get worn out and the more you use them, but CDs don't. CDs, I mean, they will after many, many years, but the CD doesn't get drilled into with the laser and the grooves get deeper and deeper. It's just light hitting a film that reads a bunch of zeros and ones and translates it. 
it's the same quality as it was on day one. Most of the time, it's the same quality. And then when we stick it in, why doesn't our brain go, wow, this is so crystal clear. This is so high fidelity. It's because our brain gets used to the patterns. It starts to generalize the sounds. It's nothing novel anymore about it. It's not unique. It's not something new. And when you take out the novelty of something, because you've listened to it a lot, because you've done it a lot, your brain develops a generalized familiarity with it. And because it's familiar, it doesn't seek all these other paths of understanding. Just like if you were afraid of heights and you went up a ladder and you look down and you're 20 feet high, your brain is going to look for all these different aspects of what you're doing. Am I going to fall? Is the ladder going to slip out from under me? Where am I going to jump? <laughs> if I fall, what happens if I break a leg? I mean, all these little branches of thought that reach out and add to the fear. But if you do this 10 times, 20 times, 50 times in a day, and you're at the 20 foot mark, your brain doesn't think about that anymore. It has gotten positive reinforcement that there's less and less to fear. Doesn't mean it's not true. You could fall. The ladder could slip. But your brain has learned to generalize and create a pattern of that feeling of safety, of that feeling of, oh, I've done this before and I made it through. I survived. And every time your brain does that, every time you expose yourself to more of what you fear and you survive, your brain understands that you can get through it again and again. I'm not saying this works with everything and you might have some sort of PTSD about old stuff in your life and certainly we need to address that in different ways but when you think of the fears in your life what can you do more of so that that fear if it's an obstacle if it's a challenge if it's something that's causing you to not have as fulfilling a life as you could what can you do to turn the deficit into a surplus or at least having enough exposure to it so that it doesn't prevent you from creating the life you want so think of what you fear and think of what you can do to counter that fear by exposing yourself to more of it. I'll never forget when that giant spider, now I'm addressing some fears that a lot of you may have, uh, that giant spider came crawling down my chest and it was so big, it was so hairy, it was so brown and I screamed and screamed <laughs> and uh, I brushed it off me and it ended up in my truck. It was under my seat and now it's in my truck and I have to get it out. And I freaked out so bad. Um, not that I had a huge fear of spiders before, but boy, when it sneaks up on you like that, it was afraid because it was on my back. <laughs> I'd gone through a cobweb. If you've listened to this show, you've probably heard me tell this story. I went through a cobweb and I was like, oh, this cobweb, yuck. Uh, it was just a line going across from my truck to the bush. I didn't know it had a spider attached to it. And uh, it ended up on my back. And it cr I guess it crawled up my back to try to get away from being crushed when I sat in my car. And um, I felt it and I looked and I screamed like I, was just, I couldn't believe this big massive monster <laughs> was on me. And then when I finally was able to get it out by coaxing it out from under the seat and putting it in a box, I think, and throwing it out into the into the grassy area. I sat in my truck for a while and um, I just, I don't know, I might have prayed. <laughs> I was just so uh, traumatized. But at the same time, I had reached that pinnacle, that peak of fear, that peak of panic. Just like I was in the desert that day. 
I reached that peak of panic. The worst case scenario came through. I suddenly had an abundance of exposure to a spider, <laughs> to spiders in general, it felt like. And I took the opportunity to reflect on what happened and realized, look, that spider wasn't going for my neck. <laughs> that spider wasn't trying to bite me or kill me. That spider just wanted to get the heck away from being crushed and get away from me. I was the dangerous one. He probably feared me a hundred times more than I feared him, which is scary because I was at the peak. <laughs> I, was, I was in that space, so he was fearing for his life. And when he finally got away from me, he probably had these moments of reflection too. <laughs> and, uh, I came to a new realization that all a spider wants to do is sit there and be left alone. This was my realization about spiders. They just want to be left alone. Let me sit in my web. Let's hope a fly or something else lands in my web. And I'll tell you what, I'll clean up all the bugs in your house. Just let me sit here. <laughs> just leave me alone. And uh, I realized that most spiders want that. They just want to be left alone. And when I had that realization and the fact that he was running away from me, it made me realize that spiders aren't out to get me at all. I don't have to have the fear I once had. And I have developed much more respect for them because I was no longer in deficit of spider exposure. <laughs> I'm not recommending it. It's not the best way to do it, but I did it and I learned a bit more. I started studying about spiders and which ones are dangerous and which ones bite and uh, which ones actually come in the house. A lot of these don't even come in the house. They want to stay outside and get little insects that will land in their web. And so that changed my perspective. That changed my uh, worldview on spiders. So this segment isn't about spiders, but this makes the point of more exposure to something can lead to less fear and even courage, even strength. Just like the 20-year-old um, that might write to me and say, I just broke up with my boyfriend or my girlfriend and life is over, life is awful, I'll never find someone like that ever again. You haven't been exposed to enough relationships to realize that that is 0.000001% of the type of people that you're going to meet that are going to meet your needs in many, many other ways. There's a lot of people out there that are going to meet your needs in so many other ways. It's just that we think that that last person was the only one that could ever meet our needs like that. And it's not true. Like my mom, for example. My mom, in her 70s, finally got a divorce from my abusive stepfather. And um, this changed her life. She really felt free. She is now experiencing a, an abundance of freedom away from the controlling and toxic person that she had been with for over 40 years. And so this abundance of freedom gave her more strength, more courage, and more understanding of what she really wanted in her life. And then a couple years later, you know, it's been three, four years since uh, her divorce, she was starting to get lonely and she wanted a companion. She really appreciated the time that I was there and we spent a lot of time together. But when I moved, when I moved down to Georgia to be with my girlfriend, she felt like she had no one. She has family up there, but she doesn't live with anyone. And she was getting lonely. But, you know, she's in her 70s. She's thinking, there's no way I'll ever find anyone now. This is it. This is how it's going to be for the rest of my life. And she did something that I highly encourage you to do as well. 
And that is to always show up as yourself and do what you want to do and be who you want to be because the right person then comes along and is attracted to that. Instead of trying to be anyone else, instead of trying to impress anyone, be yourself. Go out there and do your thing because that's what she did. She did that for, you know, the years since her divorce and she just keeps showing up as herself and she met someone or he met her. He was trying to seek her out because every time they saw each other, he loved being around her. She was always funny. She made him laugh. And she had no idea that he was interested. She just showed up as herself and she gave no thought to having a relationship with anyone that she met. She just accepted that she was going to be alone and that was the way her life was going to go. Yet in her 70s, and this is brand new, it just happened. She just told me last night that she met someone. I was shocked. <laughs> I was like, you met someone? What are you talking about? And uh, she told me the story and I was so happy for her. And it made me realize that no matter what happens in your life, no matter how old you are, no matter how young you are, it may take time, but things can happen in your life when you least expect it. And they usually do. And the good things in life almost always come when we're not desperate to get them. And the way this equates with deficit leads to fear is that when she was married, she never experienced what life was like without the toxic, abusive, alcoholic person interfering in some way, shape, or form and preventing her from doing what she wanted to do and just showing up in a way that kept her unhappy. She didn't know what it was like to be free of that. So her abundance of toxic exposure made her actually fear freedom made her actually fear being alone. It made her fear being with someone nice. She had these fears that she took out of this relationship because she kept being exposed to the toxic person with the toxic behavior. And when she was free of that, she had to figure herself out. She had to understand what life was like because she didn't know any other life without him. And then when she started experiencing what life was like without this toxic person in her life, she began to realize what she really wanted and who she was and how she thought without his influence in her brain, she learned what normal was. Normal without that relationship radiation that kept burning her for many, many years. She learned how to feel good again. She had to learn it. And when she finally learned how to be herself, how to be her own person and show up in the world as I instead of we and as someone who can actually enjoy life and enjoy being herself, someone noticed her. And I like that story. I like that we can put ourselves out there, be authentic, be ourselves, and people will notice us. When we get in trouble, it's when we are desperate and say, I wonder if that person's going to notice me. I wonder if that person's going to notice me. I wonder if that person wants to be with me. When we do that, then we tend to repel people. But when we show up as ourselves and we tell ourselves it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter if somebody is with me or not, that's usually when somebody shows up. That's exactly what happened to me in my relationship now. That's exactly what just happened to my mom. The scary part is actually accepting that as truth because what does that mean? That might mean I wait a year. That might mean I wait 10 years. I don't want to wait that long. And then we bring that desperation into the world and suddenly we are creating an abundance of fear again. 
And then we have all this fear in us and people don't like to be around that fear, unfortunately. And that's when we need other people most is when we are in that fear, it seems. But that's when we also repel people the most. I didn't mean to get into all this talk about relationships necessarily, but um, I think it wraps it up quite nicely is that when we have some sort of fear, we need to look at our lives and figure out what we can start doing to expose ourselves to more of what might turn the fear into strength, turn the fear into courage. There's a lot to explore in your life, I'm sure. Thanks for joining me today. We're going to end this with one segment and um, go to our thank yous and goodbyes and my last words after this. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Overwhelmed Brain. I want to remind you to go over to quietbegins.com if you are interested in the SAFE system for social anxiety. It stands for Social Anxiety Freedom and Ease. And I want to help you stop feeling anxiety. I want to help you diminish it. I want to help you get rid of it altogether. And this program may be the perfect fit for you. If you're interested, go over to quietbegins.com. And uh, you can still pre-order it for 30% off as of this recording. And I want to remind you of the Love and Abuse podcast. As of this recording, it is not available in regular podcast players yet. It is in the process of being approved and added to the list in iTunes and other podcast aggregators out there. But you can still hear the episodes that are available over at loveandabuse.com. When you go over there, you'll see a link at the top that says the Love and Abuse podcast. And then when it's finally being distributed worldwide through podcast players, I'll let you know and you can subscribe and hopefully become a lot more knowledgeable on toxic communication, toxic behavior, manipulation, controlling language, and all kinds of things that really help you avoid getting conned, getting emotionally abused, getting into any type of relationship, romantic or not, where you feel bad all the time or you're lied to or you're deceived. Hopefully the podcast will give you the education, the knowledge, and the wisdom that you need so that you know when it's happening to you. It's at loveandabuse.com. And I want to thank members of the patron program for supporting this show. That is the portal that if you are gaining any value from this show, I hope you are, that you can give back by going to patron.theoverwhelmedbrain.com. It is a way to give back, and I also give more there. That site has a bunch of private episodes and workbooks that you can download, including a PDF version of the Overwhelmed Brain book that is available on Amazon or for your patronage at the membership site at patron.theoverwhelmedbrain.com. Thank you, patron members. Thank you for anyone that gives to this show, that donates to this show. I am grateful for you and I appreciate you. And finally, I'd like to thank Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com for some of the music transitions in the Overwhelmed Brain. And let me give you one more question to ponder uh, relating to what we talked about today. And uh, that is, if you didn't fear what you fear now, what would you do differently? How would you live your life differently? That's two questions. <laughs> Who would you hang out with? Would there be someone that you'd be with? What else would you do with your life if you didn't have that fear? And so you think about what you fear in life and how it's holding you back. For me, I gave that example of spiders, for example. Does, did that really change my life? Well, it changed my fear. And I tell you what, it's a lot easier to get into the crawl space of my house now 
<laughs> now that I've developed less of a fear of spiders, I still jump when they appear. <laughs> but I'm no longer thinking that they are there to get me. I'm thinking that I'm bothering them. I'm scaring them. I'm bothering them. And they wish that I would go away. And that makes me feel better. I don't know why. It just makes me feel better. But that gives me the, the courage to tackle more. Like I'll watch my girlfriend. She walked under the crawl space um, right when we first moved in. And I'm thinking, man, she's brave. <laughs> so many cobwebs in here. She just walks right up and you know, moves the cobwebs out of her way. And she's doing her thing, looking at all the, the pipes and the cables that are under there and the concrete and the dirt. And I said, well, I guess I'll go into, you know, I'm supposed to be the big strong guy, right? <laughs> no. And then I walk in there and I realize, okay, whatever's in here is just keeping to themselves. So I'll just, I'll just do my thing. And so I realized that she has definitely been exposed to a lot more, I don't know, nasty crawl spaces, um, creepy crawly things than I have. And therefore she's not afraid. She's, she doesn't have any fear. Nothing is holding her back, at least in that context. But having the fear I used to have, I would not have gone in there. And having the exposure, the overexposure to spiders and stuff and creepy crawlies has helped a lot. I don't really have to like the things that I'm not afraid of anymore. I just don't have to be afraid anymore. So it has changed my life. It has definitely changed my life. It allows me to do things that I would not have been able to do before. And this is where tackling your fears in this way can help you in a huge way, can help you transform your life. Because there's a lot of people that listen to the show that have fears. And the fears prevent them from doing what's right for them, from making decisions that will help them improve their life. My mom had a fear of being alone, of being out of a relationship. What does that mean? Where does that put her? Well, she found out by facing it. She did that, um, you know, the fear of the worst case scenario. She didn't ever want to leave the relationship because she didn't know any other way to live. She had no idea what it was like to be single, to be alone. And when she did it, she survived. And after a few years of doing that, she realized how much better life is and how much happier she is. She didn't know there was more to happiness. She didn't know there was more to fulfillment. Just like you may not know there's more to the things that you might fear in your life. Which is why it's good to learn, to grow, to heal, to move forward, to evolve. So that you understand your fears more. I'm not saying that every fear in the world can be thwarted. I'm, you know, well, maybe they can. I think you can actually um, get pretty far with that. But uh, it does involve you know, taking big leaps. It takes a lot of courage to take the first step. When I took the first step and spoke up to my boss once, it was scary. And I just had to accept that I was going to get fired and this would be my last day of employment and I was going to have to figure it out. But I chose not to go into the future too much and think, well, if I lose my job, then I wouldn't have any money to pay my bills or pay my mortgage. I didn't go into that future. I just felt in that moment here and now I need to stand up for myself and I need to tell my boss that he is wrong. And I did, and it didn't lead to what I thought it would. My story didn't come true. My story was I would get fired. But my story didn't come true. And I survived. I lived. And living through that allowed me to do it again and again. And here we are on a podcast talking about it. 
here I am. I'm doing my thing and I'm telling you that you will survive. You will live through it. And as always, my disclaimer, pick your battles wisely. You don't do this with the most violent people or the most dangerous situations. But if you're afraid of heights, then maybe a six foot ladder to start off with might be better than a 20 foot. <laughs> or if you're afraid of elevators, then maybe taking one to the second floor will help you acclimate to what's involved and really get in touch with your fears and expose you a little bit at a time over and over again until you realize, hey, I survived. And that's an accomplishment. Then after you face the fears and you feel the courage and you feel the strength, that's when thriving comes along. You get past that survival point so you can get to the thriving point. I hope you get there too. I want you to get there. And uh, don't worry, if you're not there yet, just keep an open mind so that you can step into your power. This will help you be firm in your decisions and actions so that you can create the life you want. Always take steps to grow and evolve. You are powerful beyond measure. And above all, and this is something I absolutely know to be true about you, you are amazing.